Hey friends, looking for some great business content other than right here on Accelerate? Then check out C-Suite TV and watch in-depth interviews with business content for C-Suite leaders and entrepreneurs, including an interview with me, your favorite podcast host. And it's all on demand. Watch and get insider secrets on demand by going to csuitetv.com. That's c-suitetv.com. Business insights on demand. Okay, let's do the show. It's time to accelerate. Hi, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 453 of Accelerate, where I hold in-depth conversations with today's leading experts in sales, marketing, and leadership six days a week. It really helps us out if you took a second right now, went to iTunes, subscribed to this podcast, and left us a review. And also, I'd love to hear from you personally. If you have suggestions for me about topics or guests that you'd like me to feature on the show, then please drop me a note. Send it to accelerate.fm at gmail.com. One of the toughest jobs in sales is hiring salespeople. Getting it right is so important because the costs of getting it wrong can be very damaging in terms of lost time and lost opportunities. So to help you get it right, I've created a guide to hiring the right sales candidates for your company. It's called How to Hire a Winning Sales Team, the Sales Leader's Five-Step Guide to Better Sales Hiring. And it's free. Just go to accelerate.fm forward slash winning to download your free guide to hiring a winning sales team. Again, that's accelerate.fm forward slash winning to get your free copy today. Joining me on the show today is Josiane Fagan. She's a sales futurist and is the founder of Telesmart Communications and the author of Smart Sales Manager and Smart Selling on the Phone and Online. For the past 12 years, Josiane has written and published a trend report that lays out the significant macro trends coming up in sales in specific and more generally in business. And she was on the show last year to talk about her 2016 report, and now she's back on Accelerate to talk with us about her 2017 report. Josiane, welcome back to Accelerate. Thank you, Andy. It's really nice to be here. I yes, appreciate it. Nice to have you back. So take a quick minute, maybe people that didn't hear your first appearance on the show, fill us, fill us in a little bit about yourself. Okay. Uh, well, I own Telesmart. It's a sales training company for inside sales, global inside salespeople. I'm based here in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. I've been for about 24 years. And um, I recently, in the last probably 10 to plus years, I've started writing an annual trend report. And I really like sort of predicting what's going on with the trends and Sometimes I'm scary right, so that's all good. <laughs> okay, well, I was going to ask the question, how often are you right? I think I'm kind of scary right. Like okay. I come up with, I mean, I just see sort of patterns. I do a lot of research around it, and I, I really look at, you know, what is moving along? What are we seeing as a pattern? Um, how's the logical progression of it? And then I sort of come up with, you know, some predicament and... Uh, and it's usually pretty spot on. Okay, so let's jump into these because you know we've okay. got a little less than thirty minutes to go through seventeen trends, which I don't think we're through all of them, but we'll <laughs> I'll cherry pick some of the ones that I thought were really interesting. So um, start at the inside. I mean, start at the beginning. Excuse me. You have digital inside sales embraces the blur. So what's that mean? Well, basically, it's that you know we're moving into a lot of different directions, and and I'm calling it sort of the disruptive blur because 
Uh, everything is going to be a little disruptive as we move into this year. In other words, you know, nothing is predictable, as you probably <laughs> know from our political situation. Uh, not much is completely predictable right now. Yeah, well, it's sort of interesting. It seems like there's some counter trends, though, too. I mean, so I was reading an article a couple weeks ago about how, uh, you know, the the open office that has been popularized over the last five years is fading out of popularity, and they're going back to cubicles again. Um, yeah, it seems like more things change, more things stay the same. Yeah. I mean, really, the bigger trend and I don't know how much the inside sales world, since that's really the world I hang out in, is moving into. But that's really the remote trend because we're seeing that more and more because split space is at a premium. And so we're really seeing that more and more is uh, being held remote. Um, customers want that virtual relationship and it can be done anywhere. And so we're really seeing that so that's... seeing office workers out of the main office working out of home more and so on. Because that's, again, exactly. you've read over the last couple of years that, you know, like Yahoo with Marissa Myers, you know, bring all the remote workers back home. Um, yeah, you know, certainly well, see some companies doing that. Yeah, well... It didn't last as long. Um, you know, in sales organizations, that's a different story because uh, they really need each other. They really kind of feed off of each other. Mm -hmm. Their energy is very contagious. So it's really not unusual for the sales aisles to still be full where everything else is not. Uh, you know, you walk around other departments and they're not anywhere near as full as the sales organizations are. Yeah. So, you know, but space still comes at a premium right now. Well, yeah, especially if <laughs> if you're a, a startup in San Francisco. Um, space is very dear. So another yes. one you had that I thought was interesting is you acknowledged the presence of Gen Z. You're saying hungry Gen Zers want in-person communications, meaning what? Yes. You know, I'm so happy that Gen Z is coming into the workplace because... Gen Z being the successors to, or the follow-on to millennials. Right. They're the ones that are probably, you know, 19, 20, 21, 22. They're, they're the younger ones right now. Uh, they're sort of the little sister, the little brother of the millennial. Um, but I'm glad because, first of all, we know that millennials are just getting such a bad rap. Um in terms of everyone picking on them, even though I still don't pick on them because I do think they continue to be one of our most productive generations we've had in years. Absolutely. Um, but the millennials, I'm sorry, the, the Gen Zs, are they're, they're showing some different values than the you know, millennials have. They, they value conversation. They value face-to-face -face contact. Um, they value more investment opportunities. Uh, so they're, they're really a little different. Um, well, so how does come, this come to be? Because, you know, Gen Z, even more so than millennials, born and raised completely digital. You know, they have known nothing but digital, which, if we were to, you know, believe everything we read about this, is, is and I think it's true, it's what takes us away from the person to person, right? We're, we're comfortable screen to screen, but not necessarily person to person. So where are the Gen Zs learning this, this desire for face-to-face -face communication? You know, that's a great question. I mean, they um, where are they learning it is a great question because they really haven't been exposed to it. Uh, but the values of relationship building is stronger with them than it is with the millennials. Hmm. And maybe they are realizing uh, another thing I think uh, is they're 
realizing that because they grew up so digital, uh, that there's a whole new world out there, oh, and they're true. they're really intrigued by it. Um, <laughs> you know, I know that uh, one of my friend's sons is definitely a Gen Z, and um, you know, if I give him a ride somewhere in my car, he wants to talk. He's like, "So what's going on with you? And what's happening? And tell me more about that." And it's it's amazing, but. Uh, I think this is the generation that's sort of discovering conversation in a way that wasn't before. So it's a good thing. Yeah, it's a very good thing, especially from a sales <laughs> perspective. You have a generation of people coming into the sales force who have a predisposition to want to have conversation. They really do. And I, I even notice it when I'm uh, delivering training. I usually have them, uh, they'll stay at the break and they'll come and they'll ask me, you know, how did you get into it? You know, how how do you, how are you as an entrepreneur? How does it work? So it's it's very interesting, that generation. Okay. So another trend you have is that this is your fifth one is digital salespeople are building their escape hatch. So what do you mean by that? <laughs> well, I feel like, you know, the gig economy is really strong right now. And um, we're noticing that it's just about everybody has sort of a side gig that they're working on, whether they're brewing craft beer mm-hmm. on the or they're an Uber driver or they're renting out one of their Airbnb rooms while they're traveling. Um, it's, it's really not unusual. And this also explains why they're not really making long-term commitments to being employed with the same place is that they're always working on something else on the side. Um, you Which know, I, has I higher priority for them. Um, I don't know if it has higher priority, uh, but it's it's definitely their side gig, uh, probably one that brings them enjoyment, one where they mm-hmm. feel small sense of entrepreneurial feeling, mm-hmm. um, one that gives them more freedom. And uh, I think especially in the sales world, they know how to make something happen. So I'm really noticing, and I call it the escape hatchet because I feel like um, they're always ready to jump on their next thing, mm-hmm. uh, which explains why it's hard to sometimes keep them, you know, committed for a long time. Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's sort of two parts of that, though. I mean, sometimes we have a hard time keeping them because, you know, like entry-level sales jobs these days, especially like an SDR, they're not particularly pleasant environments to work in. Nor, well, nor are they really encouraged to think of it as sort of a career opportunity, which I, I think is a shortfall. I know that that's changing. I mean, you know, the SDR world managers are trying really hard to make it fun to do gamut, you know, to to really some to gamify it, to do more competition, to give more prizes, to give bonuses, to include them more because they really are still the first level of contact. And um, you know, some of them are getting paid really well at the SDR level, so they're trying to keep them any way they can, but. You're right. I mean, at the end of the day, it's sort of a ruthless job. No one's answering the phone. If they do, you barely get a second to talk to them, maybe 19 at the most seconds. You're constantly, you know, dealing with rejection um, and then they disappear and vanish. So it's not an easy position to have. Uh, but, you know, the quantity of calls that they're still making still demonstrates that it's still a really viable position that's making inroads in the sales pipeline. So is part of the answer there, though, to 
again, more along the lines of the, the career path, because, you know, if you look at um, another job type that, you know, changes fairly frequently is engineers, right? They're it's fairly fungible uh, skill set. And, but engineering talent tends to go where there's interesting work to be done. Mm. And it seems like that's a challenge for us with SDRs is, and people coming in these entry-level roles is we want to keep them, much like yeah. you're trying to retain your engineers, we've got to give them something interesting to do. I mean, it just yeah. can't, uh, it's hard to imagine that it's, you know, be the same old thing for five years that I think, <laughs> I'm sure I know there are individuals out there that have done SDR roles for much longer, but it's, they can't all be structured like, you know, the high intensity, you know, high volume of contacts and so on. There has to be something that, that gives a level of interest to it. I agree. And and really the the lifespan of an SDR is really no more than 18 months, if not a whole lot less these days. So, you know, they're really coming in as just a big career path and moving even to a team lead or anything that moves them out of it after a short period of time. So they're kind of hanging in there and then they're moving on fairly quickly. Yeah. But I mean, when you look at the numbers, right, within an organization, you know, the, the opportunities scale, right? I mean, there's at the next level up there aren't as many. So that means if these people are leaving, you know, they're going, you're losing that, that expertise and that knowledge as a company is, I think the challenge and a, a trend I'd like to see is that if we as an industry do a better job of saying, yeah, how do we define this role in such a way that we encourage the development of new skills? And I said, really keep it of interest so that people feel like they're moving, even if they're not necessarily changing jobs, they're still feel like they're progressing in their career. Yeah. And, and I think that that's why a lot of sales organizations are opening up a lot more positions um, to show that there is some advancement. Because in the old days, you know, it was just like maybe inside sales and then field sales. And now there's so much more in the progression. And also SDRs, some report into marketing. Uh, they don't report into sales. So there's a lot of places you can move into and progress within a marketing organization or a sales organization. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see whether how many of the salespeople think reporting to marketing is a good idea uh, for them. So, I mean, it, it could be. I mean, I'm not making a judgment one or another because I think I was just talking to another guest earlier today about how eventually trend he sees is within a matter of years. And I sort of agree. So, we're going to, the lines between marketing, sales, customer success are all going to blur uh, fairly substantially. Um, I hope so. You yeah. know, I, I, I think there's a lot of pressures on CMOs right now because they really have to walk those those mm-hmm. areas really well. It's it's not an easy position right now. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So um, another one, sort of interesting, <laughs> is <laughs> you say emojis are going to rule workplace communication. So <laughs> I found that very interesting because. Yeah, yes, they're they're effective at sort of, you know, big bold letter communication, but there's no nuance. So what's the price that we pay for moving to more emoji-driven communications? Well, first of all, you know, we've got a customer that obviously likes brevity, <laughs> the shorter the better. We also have a customer that's very visual. Uh, we have a customer that wants very little words. Okay, we know our emails are getting shorter. We know subject lines are getting shorter. 
But then we see on sort of the retail front and the mainstream front and the pop culture front that all these people have started their own emoji lines. You know, mm-hmm. I our buddy Kim Kardashian is like a billionaire because she's got her little emojis. So the point is that this whole visual piece of communication is really taking off and it's going to spill over into the corporate market. And so, you know, yeah, emojis are still very new in the corporate B2B world, but they're going to start making inroads. And again, it makes sense. They're going to be looked at. They're going to be, you know, they, they communicate some enthusiasm, some fun, something different. Obviously they've got to be professional and appropriate, but that's going to make some inroads into the B2B world. But to do what, though? I mean, that, that's really the question. So, I mean, you know, you're placing an exclamation mark with a, with an emoji, let's say. or But, I mean, I, you're not going to be writing your proposal in emojis. You probably are not going to write your emo- proposal in an emoji. I mean, those, those things are going to stay fairly traditional. Uh, but I think that everyone is changing up. Uh, the way they reach out um, and their outreach efforts are changing from a video introduction, whereas before they would have never done that, mm-hmm. uh, to shorter. So maybe you drop a few emojis in, you know, a well-placed, you know, opening um, a- a- outreach campaign around email. So I'm, um, you know, it, it's going to have its place. Okay. Uh, yeah. So another <laughs> one you had is that in the. I don't want to say that it's sort of stating the obvious, but it's it's worth repeating or stating. You said, so social media makes us sad. Yeah, I mean, you know, we know social selling is just climbing and it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. But, you know, we're, we're finding more and more research. We're also seeing, you know, teenage suicides from being bullied and the cyber bullying that's happening. And I feel that, you know, on some level, the social media, the inclusiveness that you want to feel uh, that you don't, um, there's going to be, there has been research that it's actually really, you know, making an impact on people's, you know, emotions. And uh, not all of, you know, there's some people that are fairly depressed. Mm -hmm. So something that we want to look at on the emotional front, uh, especially as salespeople, when we're constantly needing to be excited and pumped up and motivated, uh, you know, maybe getting caught in some of that um, is not as healthy. So, you know, I'm, I'm constantly going to sort of attack the social media in terms of how it affects human behavior. Sure. So is one of the outcomes of this trend in terms of people recognizing perhaps the impact of social media on their emotional health, possibly people use it less? Yeah, I mean, I think monitoring it is going to be really important. Um, We know social selling is obviously really taking off, uh, but how much time is someone spending on social media uh, versus actually, you know, using other forms of communication, Mm -hmm. more traditional ones, and maybe monitoring that as a a sales manager? How much time are they spending on there? What are Mm -hmm. they doing? there uh, what are what are their strategies how are they rebounding from rejection what are they using it for I think that as social selling becomes bigger in the workplace uh, you know managers really need to understand and monitor how it's being utilized and the individual that's on it mm-hmm. you know there are definitely people that have you know done a, 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 a 
they've completely detoxed from social media. They've taken a break from Twitter for months. Uh, they've, you know, taken down profiles. So we're seeing some effects already where people can't deal with it. They can't deal with the cyberbullying. And so we, we just need to kind of watch out for it. Okay. So perhaps along the same lines, you're saying customers are emotionally raw. Yes. Yes. And I, I think this is a really good trend and I hope we really explore it more. And that is that, you know, we know we are trying to figure out this customer. We're trying to understand their buying behaviors. We've heard all those statistics about how they're engaging so much later in the sales process now. You know, we're starting to understand the patterns and all of that, but we really haven't spent much time on how they're feeling, you know, how they feel when they're happy or sad or scared. And, you know, we've got some software in place that can look at some of that. We need to do more because we know that they're hungry and they're starving for a relationship, but we really don't know, you know, how do they feel? Are they holding a grudge? Um, do they lash out? Are they unpredictable? Are they angry? Are they fearful? And I think we need to think more about that customer in that way, other than, than just patterns of behavior, but actual emotions. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I agree, but I mean, at the same time, there's a huge trend towards more automation and sales, which really sort of legislates against the idea of assigning importance to the emotions of emotions of the buyers because you know to the degree that we can use AI machine learning and automation and so on you know perhaps that becomes less important well, no, I think that um, some of the software that we're creating also is, you know, the algorithms and a lot of that is becoming so sophisticated that we probably can start tracking some of that or at least recognizing it, noticing it, looking for it, uh, which is only going to help us, you know, connect with them that much more. Well, and that's really, I think, one of the critical stages I see, and there's a trend you didn't really address directly in yours, which I see, is that, that to that point, is that there seems to be a little bit of a tipping point that I'm sensing where more and more customers now are saying, yeah, I want, I want better human interactions. Yes. Right? And that, that's, that's problematic for a lot of our sales professionals these days. Is, it's always been. It's not sales professionals these days. It's always been the case. The salespeople have a hard time engaging with that prospect on a human level in yes. a way that, that uh, they find valuable and meaningful. Yeah, yeah. And and also, um, I, I completely agree. I mean, the human level, they are starved for that. The, the customer, as much as that customer is pushing us away and saying, leave me alone, I'm going to do it all on my own, I'll engage when I want to, there is that other flip side where they are craving the relationship. They are craving the interaction, the sort of business intimacy that they're not getting. So, you know, it's it, paying attention to both of those is really important. Okay. So another one that you talk about is that, um, talking about, we talk about digital escape hatch for the or escape hatch for the digital salespeople. You're saying that's true at the C level as well. So when people are trying to sell into the C level, uh, they're dealing with a lot yeah. of people that are sort of short termers. I mean, the part that I I I called it, which is the trend thirteen. I called it um, Alice doesn't work here anymore. And um, what's happened is that there's been a huge turnover of C level individuals, and uh, more than ever before. 
And for many, many reasons, I mean, I think boards are putting an enormous amount of pressure on the C-level individual to produce. Mm -hmm. And uh, but, you know, there has been a big exodus. And I think that here in my report, um, I talked about major positions such as the CEO, uh, which is I'm sorry, the CIO, which is averaging 34 months, the VP of sales, which is averaging 32 months, uh, CTOs and CMOs are averaging about 29 months. Um, still, the CMO being one of the hardest positions to hire for, mainly because of what we've talked about is how do you, what what does a marketing a CMO do? Is it social selling? Is it sales? Is it marketing? Is it PR? I mean, uh, is it customer support? I mean, they're all sort of coming together. Uh, so there are so many demands at the sea level uh, now more than ever. So it was an interesting trend because um, we really need to understand now if we're calling that C-suite, uh, what's going on? Are they there? Mm -hmm. Are they on the way out? What's going on in that C-suite? Well, and rapid title change as well, as, as we spoke about earlier, is now companies are hiring chief digital officers. I heard one today, chief disruption officer. Um, <laughs> I love it. Chief listening officer, chief content officer. Exactly. Well, yeah. Exactly. So I mean, it's it's the roles are being re envisioned for the way the businesses are being transformed by digital and and yeah, it's for salespeople selling into that environment. They've got to really get in and really understand. And certainly, they can use some of the tools, LinkedIn and so on. But they're going to find their best tool for finding out. Excuse me, finding out what's going on in a company is picking up the phone and talking to somebody. Yeah, that is so true. It really, really is. I mean, that's a whole session in itself is is really looking at the titles, the responsibility, the titles we had, you know, two years ago compared to now, they're completely different. And some might have the same responsibilities, some might not. But I think salespeople absolutely need to be attuned to all of that. Okay, so last one, then then uh, is is your last one? Just trust is the new business currency. So yes. why is why is trust new? Oh, well, I think the focus on trust more than ever before is going to be huge, and I, I I'm sure that from our you know political climate, uh, we're losing trust. You know, the majority of us is are losing trust, and. That's going to become more important than ever now is, you know, how do you establish trust? How do you gain trust? How do you maintain trust? Mm -hmm. And then once you lose it, what happens? Um, so, yes, I'm calling it the business currency. It's, it's like a commodity is really gaining that trust. Uh, how, how does that work? How do you do it um, in a climate right now where everything is so uncertain? You know, we really have to look at that. Uh, yeah, yeah, and so your your sense is that it's bleeding over from you know the social political realm into the economic realm, the business realm, so that you know some of the uncertainty is making people leery of forming some of those relationships that are trust based. Is what it sounds like you're saying. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I think it's fear based. It's like, how do I, how do I engage? You know, they're scared, they're skittish, they're, they're uncertain, it's so unpredictable. Uh, so yeah, I, absolutely. I think that there's a lot of fear that exists right now. And that's spilling over in the workplace, in, in, you know, relationships with customers, in customers, not not investing in stuff. So I think we have to really look at 
the trust as a major area of focus. Okay. Well, Josiane, that was great information. So um, I know we got to cut it short here. So tell people how they can find out more about you and get a copy of the report. Absolutely. Our uh, new website is www.tele-smart.com. There's lots of goodies there. I'll be featuring your podcast as well and, and partnering you. on that. And the trend report is there, newsletter, back issues, also back issues of the trend report, and certainly um, my two books uh, that I've written uh, that are becoming sort of the inside sales source books. So, excellent, excellent. Yeah, thank you so much, Andy. Well, my and- pleasure. Always a pleasure to talk to you. And yeah, oh. I encourage people to go to your website, check it out. Uh, you know, download some past copies and just see how accurate Josiane has been with her, <laughs> her trend reporting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And uh, we'll look forward to talking to you, if not before next year, certainly next year, when your new report comes out. Awesome. Thank All you. Right. Thank you. Bye, friends, yeah, friends, thank you for spending time with us. Remember, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And one way to do that is make sure you join my conversations with guest experts like my guest today, Josie Ann, who shared her expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. Thanks again for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everybody. 